It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. We are back with another episode of On the Clock. I am joined today by Christopher Wecht. What's going on, Chris? Not much coming off the draft. Finally, it's finally over all the, you know, it feels like it comes so quick and then it, it's over so fast. And, but now we actually know what a lot of these teams look like. We get a picture into what teams actually think of where they are in their, in their team building and what they're trying to do moving forward. It's exciting. This is a, a post draft pod. The first one for us, all three days of drafting are done. So we want to get into team building discussions and then like draft value discussions. There's a lot of discourse on the Twitter right now about positional value, surplus value. Is there such thing as a steal? How impactful are reaches? Things of that nature. So we'll get into some of that. Talk about the classes we like the most. Um, Chris, before we do that, though, I do want to get into a little bit of business here. So obviously, guys, On the Clock is a daily draft podcast, and we're no longer in draft season. But we have decided the podcast will remain. It will not be daily, though, probably starting sometime next week. Um, we, we will not be a daily pod anymore, but we will keep it going through the college football season into draft season, probably one episode a week, maybe occasional bonus episodes here and there. But for the most part, it will be a, a weekly podcast from now until next year's draft season. Also, coming up on the site, I'm going to be doing a uh, an article talking about, you know, all the my favorite picks, breaking down each draft class. I'll be doing an, uh, a way too early 2024 mock as well because those get all the clicks. And then I think, Chris, do you have anything coming up on the site? Uh, just still doing the best ball stream. Uh, XFL is winding down, but best ball mania four launch. So that we're fully in best ball season now. So every Wednesday, Scott Barrett, Thomas Tipple, and I will draft a stream live Wednesdays, 7 30 PM Eastern. So be sure to tune into that. Yeah, that's awesome. Maybe you guys will let me join you for one more of those. Now that, uh, we have some landing spots for these rookies, but, um, cool. And then, you know, more importantly, or most importantly of everything going on at Fantasy Points, our data package is launching very soon. Consumer package. I don't have a date yet, but I know it is soon. I'm trying to push the development team to launch it today. I don't think that. <laughs> so, um, I think we're probably close somewhere between now and a month out. Hopefully, you know, sooner the better. But obviously, we don't want to release something that's buggy or that isn't perfect. So. Anyways, that's going to be huge. That's going to be a game changer. I know we've been talking it up for almost a year now, Chris. And so this is like a really exciting moment for us to get that out and on the market. All right, draft. Chris, how tired were you after? Probably not as tired as me, I suppose. But how No, tired? yeah, you were definitely probably more tired. Uh, day two, after day two, you know, waking up on Saturday was, you know, a little tiring because, you know, you got the back-to-back thinking about the draft, you know, trying to go to bed and you're just thinking about all the different landing spots and everything. But, but you know, it's it's a fun tired because you're like excited about it. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was exhausted. Um, when we wrapped the show on Friday night and we're like in the, it, you know, it, StreamYard kicks you back to like the green room or whatever. We were kind of like doing our closing thoughts and producer Thomas and Scott decided to have like a 17 minute long conversation. And I'm just like, guys, my head is pounding. I got to freaking go. (laughs) I need, I need some sleep badly, but yeah, it was a great, excellent weekend. What uh, let's dive into the, the, the value stuff. And I know a lot of this conversation is centering around the Detroit lions, of course, um, unironically there being that I'm a, I'm a Detroit guy. But when I, when I take a step back, Chris, and look at their draft class, as a whole, I'm like, damn, they they killed it. And you, even if you look at our total value chart, they're they come out number one there too. So they yeah. do come out number one total value. Now, obviously, they also lost the most value. Yeah, Hooker will do a lot for that because you had Hooker pretty high up on Hooker your board and getting branch. Yeah, 
Yeah. And branch too. Yep. That's, that's true as well. But even, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. So it is funny. They sit, so they, they maneuvered the board really well. I will say that about them. They, you know, moving from six to 12, while we didn't love the pick of Jameer Gibbs there, they, I felt like they maneuvered the board well, picked up some, some surplus value there, getting the 34th overall pick, which they then spent on Sam Laporta. Um, and then they they also traded back again twice. They traded they made five trades on draft day, or day one and two. So all five of those trades, most of them were were dropping back. They did they did move up to get Hendon Hooker eventually, which was a massive surplus add because of the position and all mm-hmm. that stuff. But ultimately, I think when you put in context the haul they got, they got six day one and day two players that all scored pretty highly for me the worst pick was broderick martin who was like number 147 on my board he gets killed by small school bias in my scoring system defensive tackles from small schools don't pan out at a super high rate but his tape is really freaking good so it's like you know i don't hate that pick they also had a need there but man like (laughs) i guess the the long story here is like when you maneuver the board successfully it can make up for some positional value losses i guess like, how do you feel about that? Like, I don't know if you follow Kev Cole, but he's been tweeting incessantly about positional value and surplus value and all this stuff. Yep. Yeah, I've seen a bunch of it, what he's been talking about recently on Twitter. Uh, it's so I don't have a problem with I, I still have a problem with the way they approached the first round. I Unfortunately, they're. For those that don't know, there's there's pace, basically a rookie wage scale based off where they're picked and. Every pick in the first round drops another chunk of change all the way down. And then as you get into the later rounds, it kind of flattens out and whatnot. But when you take Gibbs at 12 and you take Campbell at 18, a running back and a linebacker, you're just, you're just putting them in positions that they have to succeed right away and be awesome. Uh, And I love what they did in the later rounds, but you, it just opportunity cost is a thing. Like they, they could have drafted, something else in the first round two other guys in the first round and they could have smashed this draft and while you know i'm sure they're thinking you know we got guys that were all high on our board we we got four top 50 players for us or something i don't i don't know where they actually had them ranked the problem is you that's not actually how you build winning teams long term because you need you need to be opt it's so hard especially with how expensive quarterback contracts are getting these days unless you're on a rookie qb deal you have zero wiggle room in terms of how you're using your cash elsewhere um i mean look at the chiefs they had to win with basically nothing at receiver they had multiple rookie corners starting this past year that's that's not easy to do it again too yeah and they're gonna have to do it again um the no, obviously, are, all those guys will be like a, a year further along they did add rasheed rice but they didn't bring in any top guys they didn't bring in any veterans like they're running it back with the same crew plus rashi you know yeah and the and the lions unfortunately don't have a rookie qb they just drafted one but we have no idea if he's any good or not so when you're still figuring out if you have a guy and you don't have him on and you have whether you have him on the rookie deal or not you've got to be building as if we want to be able to smash our cha- our window when we we finally think it's there and we have a QB. Now, if Hooker is awesome and who knows, like plays down the stretch and he's awesome or something this year, um, then yeah, they may be in a really good spot. But it's just it's just a really small hole to fit, you know, thread the needle for. Yeah, I think the biggest the best argument against with the Lions that isn't actually positional value; it's surplus value. It's the what you just said with the contract. So like Gibbs and Campbell basically both slot in above the market average for second contracts for those positions. Yeah. So Gibbs will be pay, be pay, his total contract will be like nineteen million, give or take, which is more than what David Montgomery just got. Yeah, that is more than yeah more than Montgomery. It's more than it's the it's it would be eleventh in the NFL right now in total value. What about Jack Campbell? <laughs> uh campbell uh, let's see well, you're looking up. jack so and that's the thing right so for gibbs is the already the a top 12 back in the nfl in pay they already have david montgomery who's also a top 12 back in terms of pay so it's like gibbs basically can't miss 
Like you cannot miss that pick because of how high you took him because there's no surplus value to be had. So they have to get basically excellent pl- play out of him just to hit net zero. Um, I I do think – you got Campbell's number yet? Yeah, I got it. So funny enough, he'll also be 11th. He'll be – Where's Angel Lemonade in there? He'll, he's one spot ahead of him. He's at 18 million. Campbell's number will be somewhere around 15, 16 million. And that's what that's I guess the funniest part or the the most challenging thing about those two picks is they did re-sign Anzalone to a decent second third contract for him, but really second contract. He was year to year between rookie deal and now, and then Gibbs or sorry Montgomery same thing a big second contract, and then they so you, they did that thinking well now they don't have to prioritize those positions in the draft mm-hmm. they did anyways, so it's like. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, shoot, you got two rookies making the same thing. Th- those were the two most expensive players they signed in the offseason were Montgomery yeah. and Campbell. Or, sorry, Montgomery. I'm, I'm mixing yeah. up all the names already. Montgomery, Anzalone, and then Cam Sutton, obviously, too. But point being, like, they're, those both those guys have to hit. And even if they do, you're still go, you're still working with a net zero there because yeah, there's no surplus value being added. Yeah, so you're already a top half of the league player, and then – Assuming you, you ideally you draft these guys because you want them to sign them to a second contract. Now you're now you make them a top five player at their position. You you've gained no value. That was my in, next point. in those draft in drafting these guys where you did when you draft Jamar Chase like the Bengals did where they drafted him. He gets he, you know he's a steal for four for five years. He yes. costs them nothing compared to what he's going to cost them on a second deal. You don't was, you're just not getting that with these positions. Th- yeah, and that was my next point is. Second contracts for both these guys now are going to be so. There, there's a bunch of studies done about draft position correlating to second contract. I was just going like, to say that I, I don't have any numbers on that, but it feels that way. But it sounds like you have them. Well, yeah, most of the studies that are, have been done are they they're so conclusive it's ridiculous, and no one's like bothered to redo them. But they're like five years old. I think Kev Cole actually is one who did one, but um, the it's so like for you. For second, third, and fourth round picks, you have to outperform your draft status by so much to get a big second contract. It's crazy. For first round picks, you literally can flop and you will still get a match. You can still like Tremaine Evans is a great example. He he was good for like half of a season on his rookie deal and got this massive contract. Jack Campbell's going to be looking at the same thing. As long as he doesn't completely bust, mm-hmm. you're going to have to give him a raise at the end of five years. And it's like you're already paying him top 12 money. So yeah. if he plays what, like if he just plays, not even plays well, plays 75% yeah. of the snaps of his first four yeah. or five years, he's starter. Yeah. He'll get, captain even. he'll get a big second deal. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, so that, that's the tough part to stomach. Um, all in all though, the, I feel like they did crush it enough on day two that it kind of made up for a lot of that. Um, so the, I think the thing that's tough for me too, is it's easy. Like the positional value argument is easy to make for someone like Kev, who isn't evaluating players. It's really easy to say, Oh, you should throw a dart at miles Murphy instead of Jack Campbell, or you should have drafted JSN instead of Jameer Gibbs when you're not actually doing the evaluations. Like if you as a scouting team, like they don't, they're not looking at consensus mock draft. And that's what all these studies are based on. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. these teams don't care. I listened to Ross Tucker this morning. Ross was saying he he knows for a fact five teams were going to take Jack Campbell in the twenties. Consensus board had him at like forty something. Yeah. So if you want Jack had, Campbell, then you had then you yeah. have to take him where they took yeah. him. And you can make the argument let somebody else make that mistake. But if you're convinced this is just draft class isn't deep, if you're convinced that our he's so much safer than a Miles Murphy or a Kalijah Cansey because of what he can do versus what those guys can't do then it's it's really easy as a team to convince yourself this is the better pick. Well, this is where safety is the real enemy here. Yeah. And GMs and coach and and organizations that feel like their job security is safe don't make these picks. Like, yeah. like Howie Roseman doesn't make this pick because he knows his job is secure. He's not going anywhere. Belichick makes picks that we perceive as bad, which they actually do look bad right now. But he knows he's not going anywhere, so he's not afraid to – miss on a guy yep would the team that i mean that is just why good organizations will will stay good because they're willing to take swings on things like that yep 
Yeah, Ross also said he knows of at least five teams in the first round that would have taken Gibbs. The highest one, he confirmed Brugler's report that the Jets were in on him. He, he said he, he talked to the Jets staff. That was true. They were in on Gibbs. Now, like I said, it's you could just say, well, let the Jets take him then. We're fine. But you, you do all the work to set up your board, and that's the way it looks. It's, you know. But, yeah, I, I do agree, though, that safety is can be the enemy because if you draft a Miles Murphy at 18 and he turns into an above-average pass rusher, there's a ton of surplus value there versus Jack Campbell, who now has to basically play at his ceiling – to even you know get close to a value mm-hmm. you know um do you think the what well, do you think one thing with the running backs in particular do you think this is a one-year thing or, or just, and just the way that the draft clack was or do you think the nfl is now swinging back a little bit towards running backs no i i do think gibbs and Bijan were special like i do firmly believe that that Bijan got all of the pre-draft hype because he is the generational guy. But I even went back and looked through all my scores. Gibbs was my highest scored running back since Saquon Barkley. It's like he was special in that regard. Um, If you stack up my top eight running backs over the last nine years, Gibbs was like seventh on that list. So like I, I do think that you just had a draft with two special guys. We've had a bunch of drafts in a row without any special guys. Like mm-hmm. Najee Harris had no business being a first-round pick. Josh Jacobs had no business being a first-round pick. I'm trying to think of – Rashad Penny. <laughs> Rashad Penny had no business being a first-round pick. CEH, yeah. Yeah, oh, God, CEH. I mean, he, he was a fourth-round grade for That me. was a luxury pick for the Chiefs. Yeah, I think, granted, I think- I, like John Taylor was close to a first-round grade for me. I think I think he was like an eighty-five-five for me. Swift was like right there too, an eighty-five. Gibbs was like an eighty-seven-one, which is just under a first-round grade for me. He was a top thirty player on the board. So I'm also notoriously harsh on running backs because the positional value. Like I, I baked that into my scores too. So, um, but yeah, no, I don't. I don't think there's any swing. I, on the contrary, there. I've heard people say that you know the NFL is cyclical. We went right. so pass heavy the last few years. Now it will start to come back around because. As you see with teams like the Eagles, teams like shoot the even Lions, the, Lions, the Lions, the 49ers, yeah. like especially if, if you have an offense that can truly put defenses in conflict and you get those favorable box counts, you can like running the ball actually produces really good results. Um, you could talk about EPA all day till you're blue in the face, but the the point of the game is to score more points than your opponent, not to score the most points. Mm-hmm. So. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you look at the way the rest of the class fell off the board, I would say, I would say that that suggests that unless you're special, they don't really value you. Cause when the next, the next one came off late second round, right? Charbonnet, right? Charbonnet 54, I think to Seattle yeah, and a chain was back and in the, the second. Like, Seattle's another Seattle's another team there that prioritizes the run more than most teams. Like this is what they do. Yep. Um, yeah, when did Achin? Oh no, to Bigsby and Miller went before. Yeah, Miller was H-Chain. early third. Ta- uh, Tajay Spears was early third. Yeah, Achin didn't go till. Oh, he my... went twenty. Pick twenty one third round. Bigsby went pick twenty five third round. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, there it is. But so, I mean, my scores were actually pretty close. I had nine nine day one and day two players. I think seven went, and then Roshan went early day three. So there's about eight. I, I, w- I was pretty close there. The only guy that surprised me was Israel Ebenaconda with how far he fell. I, yep. I want to know. There's got to be a story to that just because the measurables are so insane. But um, anyways, what were some classes you like? We're going to avoid Philly because that's the obvious one. Everyone loves yeah. that class, especially when you factor in the, the trade for Swift and all that. that they had a great weekend. Uh, I really like what the Colts did. Uh, you know, you get Anthony Richardson. Obviously, you've talked plenty about how much you like him. You get him as the third QB off the board. Julius Brents in the second round. Josh Downs in the third. Some other notable ones. Daniel Scott, the safety from California in the fifth. Will Mowry in the fifth. Even Evan Hall in the fifth, I think, is solid value. It just kind of seemed like they uh, uh, Miwa Adewarie in the fourth is also yeah. awesome. Yeah. Like, just break this down real quick. Quarterback, corner, wide receiver, tackle, pass rusher, corner, cover safety, pass catching tight end, pass catching running back. 
We want to talk about a team that did the opposite of what the Lions did. <laughs> they literally drafted for positional value the entire way through the draft. Yeah. Every single player they drafted has pass game impl- implications here. It's actually insane. The Adabuare pick in the fourth round is one of my favorites of the entire draft. I don't like Josh Downs that much, but I said on the live stream, this is a, a fantastic fit for him. Yeah, in the third round for and yeah. for the how he fits into the offense does seem like a very good fit. Yeah, Darius Rush in the fifth. He was a guy that Brugler and Zerline were touting late in the process as a potential day two guy. Um, yeah, no, I don't, I don't know that I'm willing to throw the label steal out. I... Th- the studies on that are pretty interesting. I don't know if you've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not actually. Yeah, yeah. it's because really, like you said earlier, the it's all based off of consensus big boards, which aren't actually a thing. They're not actual evaluations. Yeah. So the, usually when a guy falls in the draft, you know, thinking about this in hindsight, it's weird that he he understands that when it comes to steals, but doesn't understand that when it comes to reaches. By he, I mean Kev. <laughs> um, but yeah, so. Usually when a guy falls in the fifth round, it's there's a reason. I remember Omane Uarare is a great example. I He was like my third corner that year. I had a, a late first-round grade on him, and he goes in the fifth round. And then he had like moments on his rookie deal where he looked good, but for the most part, he was bad. Right. So like, the NFL was correct about that. Right. right. You know, and and every, everyone, literally every draft grader out there gave the Lions an A++ for that pick. It was the, one of the best picks of the draft, and he had like – an eight game stretch where he looked like a functional player. Right. I mean, yeah. So whatever. And then when you look at the rest of their draft class, the Colts, that is like Daniel Scott, he's an interesting player because he didn't really have a position until this year. Will Mallory, you know, he's a one trick pony kind of like, he's not going to give you much in the run game. So him falling to the fifth round, like I said, I'm not going to call it a steal, but it makes sense why he was there. Mm-hmm. Evan Hall, same thing. Like, not really a good runner, but he's a good receiver. J- oh, they drafted three corners. Jeez, Jalen Jones. Yeah, their corner room's pretty bare. Wow. Outside of uh, uh, who's the guy they move into the slot all the time? That I'm Kenny Moore. Kenny Moore. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like the Colts draft, Chris. Another one I liked, and I don't hear enough people talking about this draft. Was the Arizona Cardinals? And we you give like Cardinals, the Cardinals. I loved their draft. We give them grief a lot. No, I'm not going to get their, their day three picks were pretty mad at best. But you just look at the top six guys they took. Paris John. So for one, they got a ton of future draft capital trading back to twelve. Then obviously they gave some of that back to get to six. They get an elite tight, uh, tackle prospect in Paris Johnson Jr. They come back with a, a really good pass rusher in B.J. Ojolari in the second round. A really good corner in the third round with Garrett Williams. And a really good receiver, one of my favorite receivers in the class, Michael Wilson, in the third round. Again, prioritizing like valuable premium positions. Clayton Toon in the fifth round, I thought that was a good pick. I think he's a really good quarterback. Has a chance to start for them because Kyler Murray's coming back from the ACL. And they're what do they got, David Blau and Colt McCoy or something? uh yes it's not yeah they not. they used multiple guys or mcsorley right isn't he there oh yeah he did go there didn't he yeah john Gaines, the guard from ucla perfect for their scheme and what they want to do guy's a mauler um i i really really liked their their draft and on oh, yeah. our value chart they what they scored ninth no eighth eighth highest value yeah i, li- I like what they did i do I don't love the trade back up for Paris Johnson. I like I don't know if Paris Johnson's that much better than whatever tackle they could have drafted at twelve to warrant trading back up, but you know, like if he's that much higher on their board, then it is what it is. I, I do like how much draft capital they accumulated by trading back throughout the draft. Do you know how many yeah. what their picks are in twenty twenty four right now? No. So they've got their first, the Texans first, their second Three third round picks, their fourth round pick, two fifth round picks, a sixth and a seventh. And I think this actually, I think they may have added a few more. They've got like double digit draft picks next year with multiple, you know, day one, day two picks from other teams. That's freaking fantastic. Yeah. Do you think that's a, we're playing for a new QB thing or, 
or just we see what Kyler does and then yeah. we flood him with talent around him? It's hey, it's basically hey, we're prepared for whatever situation we're in. If Kyler comes back at some point this year and, and tears it up with a, a new offensive coordinator that isn't a, a corpse, um, then yeah, they're they're probably out of the QB market. If if he stinks, doesn't get right, we got tons of ammo. We can go get whoever we want. I freaking love that. I will yeah. say though, the Jonathan Gannon might be the biggest lame duck head coach of all time. Yes. And this guy is like a pathological liar at this point. Do you so you we saw the tampering thing the night the night before? Uh no, the night of the draft, like a, a little bit before the draft. Yeah. So the Eagles basically say, Hey, well, you know, we'll 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 let this go. You you let us, you know, we move up in the third round, whatever. The Literally, there was reports of him not knowing he was going to be interviewing for the Cardinals head coach job until after how he told him after they lost the Super Bowl. But clearly, he already had conversations with the wow. Cardinals. And then he's doing his press conference with uh, Cardinals media before the draft and and saying how uh, the Eagle, Eagles media and fans wanted me fired after we were 9-0, and which they never were because they already lost the game. Uh, they said I don't do that. Nobody was calling for Gannon to ever be fired last year, and then he he was the only coach that did zero press conferences after each day of the draft. Don't you think that's weird? That is weird. I was majorly suspect of him when he gets to the Arizona compound for the first time and he sees Kyler Murray. He runs <laughs> that down video the video was so weird, <laughs> bro. There's a scene in Friends where Renona Ryder makes a cameo, and her and Jennifer Anderson were like best friends in high school. And they do that thing where they're like jumping up and down and go, yeah, that's like what Kyler and, and John Gannon were doing. <laughs> I was like, what are you guys, former cheerleaders together? Like, what the heck? Um, that was a super suspect scene. So I was just like, yeah, he's he's lame duck. They're they're for, they're literally forcing him to do this right now for the camera. Yeah, it's he is. I'm not upset that he is no longer with the Eagles. <laughs> yeah. Oh, from a. Yeah. Yes. I mean, he he. For how much talent he had on that defense, he did everything he could to make it useless. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, being a head coach is a lot different than being a coordinator. Maybe, maybe head coach is a better spot for him. We'll we'll find out quickly. I'm I'm sure. Um. All right. The Pittsburgh Steelers, Chris. I loved their draft. Did you like their draft? Yeah, I did. I'm just remembering some of them. Picks. Pick 14, Broderick Jones. Pretty much a lot of people had that mocked correctly. We knew they were going to go tackle for the most part. Pick first round or first pick of the second round, Joey Porter Jr., low hanging fruit of the draft. Great pick. Pick 18 of the second round, Keanu Benton. This is one of my dudes at D tackle. This dude is a Pittsburgh Steeler. Like he just, all the, the physical traits of an interior guy they love. Reminds me a lot of Cam Hayward, actually. Sneaky pass rush skill set. Got some rawness to him. You know, his pad level gets a little high at times. Doesn't always, you know, keep doesn't keep the the hand fighting battle going, but he's a monster. And then Darnell Washington at pick three or pick thirty of round three. A lot of people are calling this the steal of the draft. Now, again, I'm not sure about the word steal there, but shoot, that's a that's a great complimentary skill set to Pat Fryermuth. Yeah, yeah. For for I mean he's gonna be blocking a lot. Yep. Uh, to say Red the least. Zone blocking. Yeah. Yep. That's your job, son. Go go open up lanes for Najee Harris. Which in hindsight, if that is what his role was going to be with the team, he was never had a shot at being like a first round pick. A hundred percent agreed. I mean, this is why I've been I've been torn on him because if he's gonna play at his combine weight, it, it things are different. But I think the tales of time have t- shown us guys lose weight for the combine to run faster. And then they go back to their normal weight. Mm-hmm. Cause usually the guys, guys aren't really like on strict that they, they have a natural weight they play at. They don't fluctuate a lot, you know, unless, unless a team has a, a goal for them that they have to hit. So I think Washington's probably like a 280 pound player and he's just not going to be a good receiver at that weight. Then Nick Herberg uh, picked 30 in the fourth round. Now I don't usually get super excited about fourth round picks, but this guy I mean, I had a really hard time in the in the scoring process knowing what to do with him because he's 6'2", 240 pounds. But if there's one team that uses those guys insanely well, it's it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. So it's yeah, kind they of love to get crazy with their linebacker blitzing packages and stuff. So yep. 
Yep, they're tw- I wonder if they're going to put him off the ball or if he's going to be one of those undersized edges they like. Yep. Is he replacing – because Alex Highsmith was a, basically the same size when they drafted him. Yep. So, anyways, I, I do dig that. And then Corey Trice in the seventh round. This is the most puzzling player situation of the whole draft. Why did he fall to the seventh round? I, I haven't heard anything. I don't know. I have not heard anything about what teams liked or didn't like about. Maybe, yeah, maybe there's something in the Steelers press conference after the fact. Or, yeah, know, teams love to say, "Oh, we thought this guy. We would have taken this guy in the, you know, in the fourth or whatever." Yep. Are any clear losers of the draft? Um, I have one. Go ahead. You go first, then. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers. Oh, yes. That was actually the one I picked out before and totally forgot about until now. Yeah, they start safety kicker with their first two picks of the draft. Safety kicker and crappy tight end. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And you can keep going. Yeah, <laughs> For a team that is trying to win a Super Bowl with Brock Purdy as their QB. This is this is what they, they come out with. I don't – for a team that had no picks, really – they no no day one picks, no second round picks. I just don't understand, man. Why why did they draft this way? A kick. This, oh, this is their, are they done paying off the Trey Lance trade at this point? They are right. This is it. I think this was it. Yeah. Good. Oh, wow. Maybe A lot of good. these names though are just so uninspiring. Like I didn't even score Robert Beal Jr. He was a a very minor role player for Georgia. I didn't score the Winters. I didn't score Jalen Graham. And I know it's the seventh round, but like Braden Willis, when you you just took like what? How many tight ends do you need on your roster? Like you're probably going to cut Willis. Not that like seventh round picks have to make your roster, but just take a take a stab somewhere else. Yeah. Ronnie Bell in the seventh. I like that pick. That's fine. Yeah. Good mover. But like even Daryl Luther Jr. Man, or Daryl Luter. I don't know. Really weird. Really, really. Jair Brown, too. That was way early for him. I don't know. Super weird draft. <clears throat> Anyone else that you thought was a, a clear-cut loser? Um, I don't love what the Rams did. Uh, mostly another team that just is devoid of talent at this point because of all the draft pick trading they've done over the years. Is it Steve Avila? Void? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's void of talent. Yeah, void of talent. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Um, Steve Avila is a fine pick in the second round at guard. They need tons of offensive line health. Byron Young, not really the most inspiring edge player in the third round. Kobe Turner is fine, but then it get, then it just starts getting bad when they take Stetson Bennett in the fourth round, who many people thought would go undrafted, and he's twenty six years old. I, like just why? Um, and then I like some of their late round picks, like Puka Nakua in the fifth, Davis Allen in the fifth is not bad, but again, tight end doesn't really matter for a team that needs just so much other help. Um, they draft a the Wingate punter, which. I don't know a ton about punters, but taking one from a Division Two school doesn't really seem like super optimal. Bro, I don't even think they're Division Two. I think they're lower than that. They, they're lower than okay, whatever, <laughs> whatever it is. Um, but yeah, I just, I just, I just feel like we still don't know what this Rams team thinks they are and what's what's they want to be. It's just, McVay was so close to retiring, and the, and they want to come back and try to win a Super Bowl this year. Like, what what is this draft then? Yeah, I don't hate it as much as you. Here's my quick spin on it. Steve Avila is a baller. Yeah. I like that pick. They need offensive line talent badly, and I think he's a he's a great injection there. Byron Young, I uninspiring is a good way to describe him. That's the word you used. I will say, though, that if you're going for traits, this dude is an absolute freak athlete. Maybe you can get more out of him than, than Tennessee got out of him, obviously. Kobe Turner's fine. Stetson Bennett, bad pick. Nick Hampton, terrible pick. Warren McClendon Jr., terrible pick. Davis Allen, this is where, and then they go on a little stretch here where I like their picks. Davis Allen, Clemson. Perfect tight end two in the NFL, and that's about where they drafted him range-wise. 
I think he's a good combo run blocker with some zone beating upside as a receiver. Puka Nakua, one of my favorite picks of the draft, only because his skill set directly matches our certain role in their offense perfectly. And it's that Robert Woods role that they haven't had since Robert Woods left. I I really do like that pick for them. I even made a bold statement on Twitter that I this this feels like Amon Ra in the fourth round to me. Um, I, I don't think Puka will be that good, but I, I think as far as like a day three guy that if there's any day three receiver that I think could go nuts, it's Puka Nakua just based on landing spot. And then Travis Hodges Tomlinson, I love that pick. He's a fantastic corner. Now I knew he, he was going to fall. I scored him like he wouldn't, but he's five foot seven. He plays corner. So yeah. he's a slot only guy. They play a ton of zone though, so he's not like going to be in these weird contested situations where he's going to get mossed every chance he gets. Right. He should be fine in that role. Um, mostly breaking on stuff underneath of him. So I like that. And then the Zach Evans pick is sneaky, man. Uh, I think Zach Evans. <laughs> Zach Evans is bad. <laughs> you just think he's objectively bad? Yes, he's not good. I think for a team. How do I phrase it? If, if you truly are a believer in running backs don't matter, this is exactly the kind of dart you want to throw at a running back. Zach Evans, five-star guy. I think he's got some really good moments on tape. He's obviously has some bad ones as well. Perfect. You you need a backup running back? Cool. We're going to throw a six-round pick at it. We're going to do it with a high-pedigree player that has some decent tape. I don't mind it. Everything else was bad, though. They made a lot of picks, too. Like, how many day three picks did they make? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Eleven day three picks. Yeah. That's outrageous. So they probably didn't come into the draft. I don't remember how many how much capital they actually had, but they probably didn't come into that. If if they had even close to this much capital, though, they should have tried to move up at some point and and get something a little better at somewhere. Or 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 punt it off to twenty twenty four and like, you know, trade a seventh for a fifth like some teams did and and whatnot yep um let's you want to talk about the qb thing how many qbs went yeah yeah let's actually real quick one other team i wanted to highlight i really liked what uh i really liked the first five picks of the seattle seahawks Oh, I love to see what the Seahawks did. Yeah. Well, our our value chart thinks they did terrible. They had the uh, third most uh, loss of third highest loss of value based on the picks they made versus the capital. So Charbonnet's part of that problem for sure. Yeah, Charbonnet's part of that problem, but Devin Witherspoon at five, Jackson Smith and Jigba at twenty. Derek Hall at 37. Those are three premium positions. And they get really good players, all of them. I know yeah. Derek Hall, they lost value on that too because he wasn't the 37th player on my board. But for what the Seahawks do, I really like him. Length, power, you know, good athlete. I like all that stuff for the Seahawks. Um, and then Charbonnet, I, I almost came around to not hating this pick because this is what the Seahawks do. It is what they do. That's why I, I'm not as down on the situation between him and Ken Walker as what yeah. I feel like a lot of people are. I went back and looked. They had, in the same year, Chris, this is the year they drafted Rashad Penny in the first round. They gave Chris Carson a yep. contract. And they still had Marshawn Lynch on the on the roster. Was he really? Yeah. <laughs> so they rolled into that season with Lynch, Penny, and Chris Carson. Oh, and Alex Collins was on the roster too. Yeah. And he was a UDFA they hit on the year before, had a good year the year before when Lynch was hurt. Um, this is just what the Seahawks do. They value the run game a ton. And if you want to keep Gino in his bag, I think supporting him with with a good run game is is fine. I think that's a fine strategy. Anthony Bradford also a good guard in the fourth round. So then after that it got pretty bad. But yeah. Um, yeah, so we had the most QBs go off the board in this draft than we've had since 2016. This is also the most day three QBs we've had go off the board since 2016. This is following a year where Brock Purdy took the Niners to the NFC Championship game, being a seventh round draft pick. Are teams getting smarter or are they getting dumber? Um, I think teams are getting smarter. Here's the thing. 
I'm I'm a firm believer that you should throw a, you should throw a dart at a quarterback like every other year at some point in the draft. Probably not day one or two, but there's no reason to churn the back end of your roster and try to find that really solid backup. Especially if you hit on one and he ends up outproducing his draft stock, you can get assets and trades for uh, those guys. Okay, and what, how often do you think that happens? I don't know. We don't. We no one's really doing that. No one's uh, applying that strategy. Like the league was desperate in desperate need of a backup quarterback revolution. We've had the same twenty guys churning the back end of these rosters for a while now. Even guys like Nate Sudfeld. Like it's time the NFL moves on from him, right? Like David Blau, uh, Jeff Driscoll. These get like this. We got to be done. You know, like there, there's no upside here. Are, are these guys smart dudes? I mean, your dog that's barking right now is probably smarter than those guys. Yeah, sorry. Um, so, what do you think? So, then, what do you, who do you think are some good NFL backup quarterbacks right now in the league? Uh, Jacoby Brissett is probably was, one of my favorite. He, well, he's Teddy a starter. Brissett. He's a starting quarterback, though. Brissett's not right now. Oh, he's a starting quarterback. He was last year, and he's going to be this year. Wait, what am I missing? He's gonna he's gonna take over for Hal at some point, whether it's at the beginning of the season or the end of the season. You think so? Yeah. Ron Ron's, Ron Rivera is not gonna mess around with Sam Hal being not good. Okay. I mean, Brissett was discernibly better than Deshaun Watson was. I know that's why I think I think he's a starting quarterback. Not okay. a great one, but he's yeah. but he's a starter. Well, if you're not a top twenty QB to me, you're a backup. Yeah, so that's fair. Uh, Tyler Heineke's probably high on the backup spectrum. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of other guys I like. Case Keenum. It's raw. He's just so limited from an arm talent standpoint. It's really hard for me to get on board. I think in the right system, you saw it that one year in my in Minnesota. In the right system, it works. But now, I mean, I just. Tyler Huntley for for is a good backup for the like, what the Ravens do. At yeah, least. I like Tyler Huntley. I think so, he'd he'd work for the Ravens. He'd work for the Falcons, probably the Bears, maybe the Dolphins because they can get some some weird spread schemes with him working. So there. the reason I'm asking you is because I don't think good backup QBs come from day three. I think I mean they, they can. A lot of them come from day two. That and they or they are just undrafted guys that like that you can. I think it's just as likely as you you find an undrafted guy as you find a day three QB that's good. Well, so what's crazy is of all the QBs we got drafted, there were still like twelve more who signed UDFA deals. Yeah, that's my point. Is there's always guys that you can sign after the fact. Uh, like some of the day three guys that are current that were backups heading into last year, uh, Stidham, Minshew, McSorley. Trevor Simeon, Nathan Peterman, Sam Ellinger, Brandon Allen, Nate Sudfeld, Mike White, Tyrod Taylor, Josh Jobs. I mean, there are any of those guys you feel awesome about being your backup QB? There's a couple, but there's certainly not. It's certainly like, not like I like Mike White. Yeah, I like Mike White. I think Josh Jobs is okay. Guy last year, uh, they so, lost. Uh, wasn't no Dalton was two years ago. Um, um, Will Greer was there. No, who, no Will Greer. No, this that's guy who they went. That's who they went into the season with. They eventually, oh. uh, yeah, Cooper Rush. Cooper Rush was yeah. he undrafted? He was right. Yeah, he was undrafted. Yeah. No, I see your point. I think a lot of those guys you just mentioned they come from smaller schools and they started a lot of football games, so they have a lot of experience under their belt. So it's interesting. Like the Lions signed Adrian Martinez as a UDFA. It's like, do you think, is there a shot he ups, you know, upseats uh, Nate Sudfeld? Well, I mean, Hendon's obviously the backup, but he's recovering from an ACL injury. Right. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he might. Probably Sudfeld's experience will probably keep him there, would be my guess. I mean, Martinez was like a five-year starter in college. Yeah, I know. But there's definitely a bias in that NFL experience for college experience. Like, he'd have to, like, really be better than him. Yeah. Well, let's go through some of these quarterback picks because I, I do think a lot – like, okay, when I scored these players, I will – like, notably, this was a good QB class, not just at the top, but all the way through. And I even wrote in some of my notes, like, uh, like Aiden O'Connell. I thought he was a much better prospect than a lot of the day two quarterbacks of recent memory, whether that be Desmond Ritter or 
um, Kyle Trask or Kellen Mond. Clayton Toon was in that. Jake Hayner. I like you know me. I was a huge Jake Hayner guy. I loved Hayner. You know, only thing working against him is he's not. Six Did foot you tall. like Jake Hayner in the fourth round though? Yeah, I do. I think he, I scored him as a day two player. I just. It, you, it just doesn't work. And and not always because of the player being bad. They just don't get opportunities. Because they... Well, that's the whole key with a backup, right? It's like you don't realize how bad you need one until you need one. But even when you need one, you're dead. Not always. The Chiefs needed Chad Henney to win a game for them in the playoffs. And he did. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Kind of. I just... It, it doesn't... It just doesn't work. It... More often than not, when you lose your starting QB, you're you are dead. It's it depends over. for how long. You need a guy that can keep you afloat for four to five weeks. If you need more than that, you're dead. The Cooper Rush, what did he, he started five games last year? Won four of them. Yeah, yeah. That you need a guy that can do that. Yeah, After what we buried the Dallas Cowboys. We thought they were dead. Yeah, I, but Rush. I think you can find all of that as an undrafted guy or just a vet of a flame, a flamed out early round QB that is still better than some guys. Maybe. I mean, that might be true. I just think you, you still need to do the evaluations and, and go through your process with them. Chad Henney was undrafted by the way. Was he? Yeah. Are you sure? Yep. Wow. Cause he had a pretty good career at Michigan. That's, that's a uh, surprising, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I like this QB class. I mean, I just think there's good positional fourth round players you can get over these QBs that will provide you nothing and not really provide you a ceiling. That's the other thing. You get no ceiling with these picks. I will say, you know, day two in like round four is probably not the sweet spot to be drafting QBs. It's probably the fifth round. Like, Clayton, I think it's six or later. I think you're you're Clayton okay. And Dorian Thompson Robinson, I think, are two really good picks. I'm not even a DTR guy, but like you talk yeah. about ceiling, he is he is ceiling, he is upside, like developmental upside. If he, I mean, he's basically like but he's a, never going to get a chance to show that, so they're never going to recoup any value from that. How do you know, Deshaun Watson? So Watson's got to have an injury, basically. Well, he also <laughs> allegedly sexually assaulted 27 people. Yeah, but that's over now. another. Well, that one is. You don't get into that kind of trouble unless you're in, into that kind of trouble, man. <laughs> yeah, I get. It. But all right, we're we're you're talking very specific things that have to happen, though. Well, yeah, I mean, that's kind of why you draft a backup quarterback is prepare for those very specific situations. Clayton Toon, I like that pick because we already talked about it. But Kyler coming off the ACL, he could get an opportunity. No, when when the Jaguars drafted Gardner Minshew, nobody thought he'd get a chance. And we kind of talked about earlier that when you're a, when you're a later round pick, especially, you have to do crazy things to show that you're amazing. You have to do what Brock Purdy did essentially and take a team to a, a on a playoff run that you probably didn't deserve to be doing as a late round for teams to believe in you. If Clayton Toon comes in and you know wins them two games out of four, but and looks pretty good, no one's going to remember Clayton Toon after the fact. Kyler's going to come back, be the starter, and 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 move along until Clayton Toon signs a three-year, you know, thirty million dollar deal a couple years later to be a backup somewhere. Not the Cardinals, though. No, not with the Cardinals. So then, what was the point? <laughs> he he got you. At some point, you're you're better off picking off the guys after the fact, I think, than drafting guys. You know, six, seven round, whatever. I don't think that matters as much. But four or five. Round three, day two, or round two can be okay because there's guys like like Levis getting into day two, Jalen Hurts getting into or into round two. I think there's still like windows where round two can be okay, but it's it's like three, four, five. Just don't take quarterbacks. What um, I will, I am a little tickled that uh, Mike Renner first round graded Tanner McKee went in the sixth round. Yes. <laughs> oh man, I, th- I what do you think? <sighs> I've heard like he's got no mobility whatsoever. Do you think that he's, is, he's also older? Right. Yeah, all the all the Mormon kids are older. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised he was he like how does he go after Sean Clifford? How does and, Sean Clifford get drafted? No, that I mean you have a point about some of these guys for sure. Clifford, Jaron Hall, these are just flushing 
fifth round picks on your toilet. Max Duggan, what are we doing? <laughs> Max Duggan. At least he was a seventh round pick, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, true. But like, yeah, to, to your point, I'd much rather throw a dart at like Malik Cunningham or Tyson Bag- Bagant as on as UDFAs, which both those guys sign places. Mal- yeah. uh, Dresser Win, Adrian Martinez, Lindsey Scott Jr. All these guys, they all signed as UDFAs, but. So what did you think of the Lions headed hooker pick then? Are you fine with it because he has starter upside? Hooker fell for a different reason. He fell because of injury and offensive scheme that may or may not translate to the NFL. It's definitely not ideal, but I, I don't think it's a death nail for him because of given what's around it. Like if Hooker finishes his senior year, he's he's going at worst where Levis went. Yeah, probably higher, maybe higher than Levis. Yeah, exactly. So I don't think that's a big deal. Will Levis is the oldest starting quarterback in that division. Is he Lawrence? uh, He's older than Lawrence. He's older than Richardson and Stroud. Richardson and Stroud. Wow. That is a young, young division, a QB. It's crazy how I did a bunch of mocks where this exact scenario played out, and then then Levis – Ends up the, the the oldest QB in that division. So funny to me. Yeah, through the back door too. Not a, not in the first round. Yeah. Um. All right. Should we should we get out of here for today? Yeah. We'll be recapping draft stuff all weekend or all week. I don't even know what day it is, Chris. I'm I'm lost. <laughs> it's Monday. <laughs> it's Monday. Oh, man. All right. We will be back tomorrow to talk. We'll get into divisional stuff and go team by team and really talk about their draft classes. So, all right. Thanks for listening. We are out. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com. 